0: to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. My name is Jamie Brodnax, and I am your host. So we have two great segments in this fun-filled episode for you. First segment is about whitewashing and media. I brought on Lauren Warren, who's a gaming contributor for Black Girl Nerds, to talk to me about all of the issues and all of the tomfoolery, yes, the tomfoolery that's involved with the whitewashing of so many films and characters of color that has been happening as of late. From the atrocity of the Gods of Egypt film to anime live action films such as Ghost in Michelle and most recently Death Note. So we talk about that in our first segment. And our second segment I had the great opportunity to have one of our contributors over at Black Girl Nerds, Joelle Monique. Joelle Monique has done several comic book reviews and she's a comic book fan and geek and she interviewed Alex DeCampi. You may know her best from her 2005 miniseries Smoke published by IDW Publishing and she was also nominated for an Eisner Award for Best Limited Series and her 2006 manga series called Cat and Mouse. Well she's got a new comic out called No Mercy So take a listen to first our whitewashing segment where we talk about all things related to what's wrong with Hollywood today, and then listen in for our next segment with our interview featuring
1: Joelle Monique and Alex DeCampy. Enjoy!
0: Welcome to this segment of the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. We are going to talk about whitewashing in Hollywood. It's a problem. There needs to be a discussion to be had on this issue. There's just been a lot of things happening in social media that were popping up with all of these remakes, and for some reason, these remakes decide that, hey, instead of using the characters of color that originally were in these properties... We're going to insert a whole bunch of white folks in it, and you're going to like it. And we, as people of color, do not like it. That is the segment for our show. I'm very excited to have back with us Lauren Warren, gaming contributor for Black Girl Nerds. She has a lot to say on this issue as well. So thanks for, for coming on the show tonight, Lauren. Thanks for having me, Jamie. Okay, so let's get started on this. I I don't even know where to begin. <laughs>
1: There's so much to choose from. It happens so often. There's so
0: much tomfoolery in the world. Like, why? What is wrong with Hollywood or Holly weird?
1: They're scared.
2: Or
0: Holly white, really. Holly
1: white. Yeah. That's
0: right. Yeah. You know what? Let's start with Holly white. So Holly white was, it's a term that's been used for a long time, but it was recently used in response to a tweet that I'd put out there by um, Ming-Na Wen, she she had mentioned um, that it was Holly White of The Hollywood Reporter to have this cover that featured Oscar nominees and Oscar contenders, and no one thought to call up Viola Davis, Cicely Tyson, Whoopi Goldberg, any women that have been Oscar nominees or won Oscars in the past to be a part of this cover. It was filled with a bunch of white women. Uh, let me see if I can remember who it was. Jane Fonda, Meryl yes. Streep, Cate Blanchett, S- other... Wait, no
1: Meryl, no Meryl. I actually, I actually have the photo in front of me. Oh, you do? Okay. Oh, Meryl was
0: not. Okay, Meryl was a part of another, um, another Tom one. Fullery situation.
1: That's odd because you know Meryl's usually in everything. But yes, Meryl had her hands full with suffragette. But yeah, we can, we can get on that later. <laughs> get um, that one later. Yeah. Let's see. This looks like Jennifer Lawrence. Um, oh, that's right. Yes. Rampling. Mystique. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Kate Blanchett. Right. Helen Mirren. Yes. Uh, Kate Winslet, Jane Fonda. What is this other girl from suffragette? Oh, uh, um, uh, Carrie. Carrie. Mulligan. Mulligan, yes. Carrie right. Mulligan. And I swore that this was Jennifer Lawrence twice, but it is Brie Larson from Room. I have no idea who that is. I thought it was Jennifer Lawrence again. That's how much they look alike to me. Like, I, I honestly thought she was up here twice.
0: <laughs> we thought that she was cloned or something. Uh, for But that, yeah,
1: so you've got the one unknown, the few pillars of of the industry i guess and the, and the ones that are sort of the the award favorites but you know this picture is really nothing but a big pr campaign which i guess we get um and we know we we know that to a degree but i find it hard to believe that there were no campaigns successful pr campaigns for women of color and they just couldn't crack that wall to get in here and appear you know it, it's all who you know how much you pay how hard you campaign but yeah, this cover said a lot. It definitely said a lot. And the response to the cover said a lot as well. The response on behalf of the Hollywood reporter, that is. Right. Right.
0: I took issue with that. I got, I decided to write about what was happening. The Mary Sue had saw my tweets and was like, hey, uh, I see you're tweeting about what's going on with the Hollywood reporter. And I was like, yeah, I've got a lot of opinions about this. So they wanted me to share my thoughts. So I wrote a piece on their site about the response to the article, because his basic response was, well, <laughs> well,
1: actually, okay, well see, actually, what happened was, what happened was <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, it, it's the Academy's fault is what he said. Right. Uh, we we promote what the Academy likes and what the Academy has faith in. And if there is a lack of women of color in this position, well, don't blame us for reporting it. Blame the Academy.
0: Exactly. Exactly. And he he really just sidestepped the issue. He didn't address that there was actually he did in fact address the fact that there's a problem with diversity, which made his statement very hypocritical right. because here you are, you have the executive decision to elect to have women of color on your cover. It's not like someone's putting a gun to your head saying, "No, you cannot do this." Right. Here you are. You have managerial (laughs) editorial, (laughs) um, you know, oversight to be able to get these women in. And in fact, you decide not to do that. And then you blame. Oh, well, there really is a diversity problem. And and that is something that should be addressed. Well, why don't you do something? Why don't you address it?
1: Right. We feel that this is a problem and you should address it. But don't come to us for addressing it. (laughs) Don't look to us to address it for you. And, and I saw a couple of tweets and there was one tweet that stuck out to me. Someone sort of related it to war reporting. Mm-hmm. You know, as a war reporter, you want frontline access. You want to have all that coverage and you want to report to a degree to where people are informed, but you don't want to call out whom you're reporting on and jeopardize your access at the same time. So that sort of, well, our hands are tied excuse doesn't right. really work in this case, <laughs> You know, like you said, you have the power to change the discussion, and this cover and this discussion is only as white as you wanted it to be. If you truly wanted to change things, you really could. You could say, yes, this is what the Academy has faith in, but you know what? We've reported on some things in the past year that stick out to us. How about we call one of them, two even, just to get some balance on this on this cover? And it's just funny mm-hmm. because this industry is so concerned with image, but optics always seem to come way in last place. Exactly. (laughs) Never really concerned about optics, but image is everything, but the optics they pay no attention to. Right.
0: And let's mention some names here. So the Hollywood Reporter's executive editor that responded to the backlash that was happening, his name is Stephen Calloway, or excuse me, Stephen Galloway. I could not talk too much alcohol, Um, (laughs) Stephen Galloway, and I'm going to read what he said word for word, just so you can get an idea of where his mindset is on this issue. He says, yet, even for me, a white man, it was impossible to ignore the fact that every one of these women was white, whether old or young, English, Australian or American. That was appalling. The awful truth is that there are no minority actresses in genuine contention for an Oscar this year. Straight out of Compton, which has provided some great roles for African American men, and whose success adds proof that studios ignore minority audi- excuse me minority audiences at their peril, had no women leads. Furious Seven, not quite Oscar bait. Okay. First,
1: you know- <laughs> okay. Go, <laughs> let, well, let me get your thoughts on that, and then I'll share mine. Ah, it was so appalling that he couldn't pick up the phone and maybe call the one he had in his back pocket.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, just that appalling, you know, so appalling. And I'm so disgusted by this, but I'm just going to keep moving right on ahead because I have editorial control. Um, that's my first issue. Uh, second issue is bringing up straight out of Compton. Yes. <laughs> um, because I, I know there so were a few condescending. more movies released like Tangerine. Um that they had one they actually gave coverage to Tangerine, which I believe featured if not one but two transgendered uh black female characters. Mm. That would have been revolutionary to put one of them on the cover or on on this round table and on the cover. Right. But to go for straight out of Compton, I have questions about that. And then Furious Seven, not quite Oscar Bait, well no duh. But it's funny that he picks the movie that has the most diverse casts (laughs) I've seen out there. It, it it
0: sounded to me like he's someone who has absolutely no idea of Hollywood inside. Like he's someone like any regular Joe Schmo that knows about movies from the Internet or from word of mouth. Like he doesn't seem like he's a Hollywood insider. And for him to bring that up instead of all of these other independent films that featured so many actors of color... it it seemed like he's just completely clueless. I I don't understand why that was the default for him as opposed to all of these other great Oscar contenders. And Hey, what about Creed? I mean, that's another film that just recently came out. That's getting a lot of Oscar buzz. I just, it, it, it really bothered me.
1: Given the speed in which he posted this, because if you notice the, the article came out and moments later, this ex- explanation came out. Mm-hmm. So I'm guessing it was, hey, nearest intern, give me some of the movies that maybe you saw this year I can throw in here as proof that I actually was concerned about this issue. Right. <laughs> so you saw Straight out of Compton, right? Okay, did you see Furious 7? Did you Furious 7? Okay, yeah, great. I'll throw those two in there. Thanks so much. You just saved me. No, this intern did not help you. That's what happened. I mean, it's it was rushed. I think it was a rushed job. This apology was very rushed. It's not genuine. And quite frankly, I would have appreciated if he hadn't said anything at all. Right. I, right. I would just rather seeing the article or seeing the, seeing the cover, seeing the accompanying articles with it, watch everyone fine and go, Oh, it's just another day in Holly white.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Okay. Um, then to say, okay, I mean, yeah, I guess I could have changed it, but I really didn't want to. Right. But I, you know, then you just say that, just keep that to yourself. And we all know it already. Right. But you know, no need to tell us we're quite aware. Exactly. And again, I just think
0: rather than discussing the problem and posing what's wrong with the issue, why don't you address it and also write some commentary and do an expose about the fact that there aren't women of color being nominated in Hollywood? And and why is that happening? Because I feel like you are a part of the problem. You are the media. You know, these films don't get attention. Unless people like you are reporting on it, you know, the the Academy and, and the board, they don't know about these movies unless you guys are putting that out there in front of them as, oh, OK, um, yeah, I've been hearing some buzz about this. Let me check out this film. Right. So I think that you have an accountability as someone who has managerial, uh, editorial oversight, um, yeah. to, to be able to notice these things and to, to bring them to the forefront. So there was a lot of hypocrisy in that statement. And I agree with you. He should have just not said anything at all rather than this BS somewhat, sorry, not so sorry, Sorry, sorry.
1: you know, it's, 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 yeah, I might be accountable, but I also have my access to consider. So if I'm going to keep one of those, I'd rather just keep my access. Right. All right, so
0: The Hollywood Reporter, you get a thumbs down this week. Two thumbs, thumbs down. down. Two thumbs down. All right, so let, let's move on to another terrible situation that happened on social media where it it got so bad that it went viral. My my tweet got picked up on The Guardian and all of these major publications. They They noticed a lot of what was happening in Black Twitter with the Gods of Egypt film. People were pretty upset. I was one of them because they decided to cast all white actors and the whitest of the white actors. Like it wasn't, (laughs) you know what I'm saying? It wasn't like Italian actors, you know, someone with a Mediterranean Greek background, like these Scandinavian actors, uh, Jamie Lannister from Game of Thrones and uh, Gerard Butler. and, And I'm just like, what? Is going on, and these so people hey, are supposed to be have... the
1: kings and princes of Egypt. We had a small victory. We had Chadwick Boseman, right? Who, right, who was a <laughs>
0: somehow they did some weird kind of like effect where he looked like he was cloned
1: eight times on the cover,
0: and that's supposed <laughs> to represent all of the diversity for Black people I'm in sorry,
1: Egypt. <laughs> I'm still up over that. They put Black Panther in the whitest possible movie ever. That's supposed to be about Egypt. <laughs> But you know, I, I'm just I'm, I'm amazed that someone looked at the casting and said, "Yep, this looks great. Let's get started." No, am I surprised though? I'm not really. I think I'm more surprised that it happened again so soon after Ridley Scott's uh, Exodus of Gods and Kings. That was the crazy thing about it. Like you have a blueprint cautionary tale, right? <laughs> Hey well, kids, if you touch that hot stove, it burns your hand. Yep. Exodus. And don't it.
0: don't do it. You saw what happened. You saw the backlash on social media. You saw that the film tanked. I'm not gonna go there. But, but do they though? But they I don't did think it
1: they anyway. Do. I don't think these people understand. Um, I, I think decision these decisions about movies are made in boardrooms, sequestered, and they're full of people who really aren't in touch with modern audiences. And I think right. we we see this every day. These are older older, typically older white gentlemen yeah. who appreciate old school movies, which is another reason why we keep getting all the remakes and reboots, which is a different issue for a different day. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't take risks on the new material, so let's just recycle the old stuff even when it looks wrong, but it's familiar to us, so it's comfortable. Right. Um, they're not really willing to take a risk on actually, you know, having Egyptian characters that like Egyptian characters. And there's a long history of that sort of not just whitewashing, but, you know, having people in yellow face. And in, in, I don't know if that's actually a term, but I, I, I refer to it as yellow face or brown face when you've got like Catherine Hepburn and Marlon Brando playing Asian people. Right. Uh, Mickey Rooney and like Peter Lorre. Peter Laurie was Hungarian-American but played, I believe, a Japanese person when he played Mr. Moto back in like, the 40s and 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, back then, you know, when the actor pool wasn't as big, And Hollywood was still, well, Hollywood was still Hollywood, but the actor pool wasn't as big. And so I can see it happening back in the 40s and 50s. But in this year, 2015, borderline 2016, there is no reason, absolutely no reason, why Egyptian characters should be played. What did you say? By the whitest of the white people? The whitest of, like, at least try to fool us
0: if you're going to whitewash and get somebody that's, like, biracial or, right. like, this Italian that looks really dark skin.
1: Some pain. You some, know?
0: Um, yeah. Some, but, but, the, the, yeah. No, don't. Jamie
1: Lannister, playing Jamie Lannister, even when he's not playing Jamie Lannister, and I know that's not that man's name, and I'm sorry, I can't remember it. Uh, Nico um, Nikolai koster I believe is his name. Right. But it's Jamie Lannister outside of his Game of Thrones territory, but in a different kind of territory.
0: How, all- how oh, hilarious is it that a Game of Thrones character, you know, Game of Thrones is very white in terms of the geography of the location there in Westeros right. and, and the actors that play the role. How ironic is it that a Game of Thrones actor is cast in a role as an Egyptian god or king i i do, don't get that
1: do you hear what you just said <laughs> like, <laughs> <insanely disastrous. laughs> and, and it's not as if you know he even has in his blood he's a dane he's from denmark he's from denmark how do you how do you sit in your conference room and say yes this works this is fine it's hilarious at this I, point. I, I, I do find it funny. It is funny to me. We laugh about it, but this is really a problem because you've got You're right. actors studying the craft and ready, willing, and able. And then you have people in these decision-making positions saying, no, nah, it's okay. That's okay. We, we, wanna, we want some – it's that craving for familiarity even when it's historically inaccurate. And no matter how many times Twitter scholars – or anyone online tries to justify this, there is no justification. And I saw some really funny ones <laughs> trying to justify this. The one that sticks out to me the most, and I don't even have to look this up, and it started off with, well, actually, well, actually, <laughs> Egyptians are technically Asian, so this isn't whitewashing. Huh? Girl. WTF. WTF. Yeah. So I I couldn't even respond. I just scrolled because anyone who can type that with a straight face (laughs) or anyone who can say that with a straight face and believe it with like, I mean, he felt in his chest. He meant it in his chest that Egyptians were Asians and this is a non-issue.
0: It was so funny, the Twitter historians that just came out of the woodworks when this had happened. Didn't they? (laughs) Because I had tweeted out that. Why did they not cast black actors in a country based out of Egypt? And all of a sudden, everybody was an expert on the history of Egypt and knew everything about the geography and all of the demographics of people that lived there over centuries and centuries. And I'm like, come on, y'all. Y'all are really trying to reach to defend this. And even if it's not geographically or demographically accurate that black people didn't live in Egypt, white people didn't live in Egypt either. Okay. Yeah, they, thank you. <laughs> okay. So <laughs> if we're going to be that simple about it, all right. White people didn't live there either. So, so what's your excuse now?
1: Right. Oh no, but they'll find one, you know, but they were close, but they weren't there, but they were close. They were up the street, but they weren't there. You know, you know, it, it's, it's, it's duck season, rabbit season. You, you never get, there's never a clear winner in this. We know we're right. And then we start questioning ourselves, and we're debating this, with these these newfound PhDs <laughs> obtained from Wikipedia and whatnot, right? Uh, because you know they don't actually comprehend what they read; they just scan for words and regurgitate them as if they make sense. Oh my God, that is such a troll! That's you know, troll
0: behavior right there.
1: Absolutely, and of course, you know, gotta pay attention to the Abbey and the picture of who's saying it too, because that says a lot. But um, yep, yeah, it's so many, so many sudden Egyptian historians and scholars surfacing from under the rock to come and say, well, you know, well, actually this is right. This is fine. This is right. Oh, show me because every, hey, show me, show me where you got this from. And of course it's when they disappear. Right. It's just bizarre. It's, it's so bizarre. And we've, we've had some success in, in television and film. And so every time this happens, it's, you know, it's like one step forward, 10 steps back. Um, And it's just frustrating. I know it's it's frustrating. We joke, we kid, but it's extremely frustrating. And I know it must be frustrating for actors trying to get in, you know, trying to get a role only to be told, you know, we're going a different going a different route.
0: But that's something that and I'm glad you bring up the actors, because that is a question that I have. Shouldn't there be some sort of accountability as a white person to go, you know what, this ain't right? Like, I, I just, I don't understand how you can really, with a straight face, read a script, it's based in Egypt, or even any other role where there's some whitewashing involved, and go, all right, um, and, and, and it's not like these actors, like, I understand, actors gotta eat, you know, right. you, you, you gotta pay those bills.
1: Do you turn back?
0: Is is Gerard Butler really hurting?
1: I don't think so. I mean, especially after, like, what, 300 and... Uh, I've I've lost count of what that man. You know, no, he's not hurt. And Jamie
0: Lannister is he hasn't died yet, so he's right. still getting a paycheck from Game he got of Thrones. One
1: arm. He's still working. <laughs>
0: um, so I I just don't understand that. It was funny. Somebody on Twitter was talking about Gerard Butler, and they were like don't they realize this movie is a fail anyway, the moment they cast Gerard Butler as the lead? <laughs> oh. It's like, damn.
1: Well,
0: yeah, he doesn't have a very good track uh, record at the Ducks office. Just I FYI.
1: He doesn't. You you are right. No. I'm looking at his, I think with the exception of How to Train Your Dragon, I don't think he does. And yeah. that says a lot, too. <laughs> it has to be animated <laughs> versus live <black> action. <laughs> interesting yeah
0: yeah so the movie's kind of a fail anyway uh we don't have to worry about it boycotting it it's going to tank successfully on its own i think that
1: that has to happen more i think before people start to come out of their bubble because i think you know you and i and many other people have this luxury of not living in a bubble and knowing how the real world works and Mm -hmm. looks and these people don't so in their mind yes this is perfectly reasonable to have this cast And to have people in Egypt speaking with British accents. Yes, this makes sense because it's what I've seen. It's what I've known. It's what I've put out before. It's what I like. Now, we all know that that's not accurate. Right. Um, Just like maybe someone should have gone to Hawaii and taken a look at demographics before making a movie called Aloha and not having any people who look like they're from Hawaii in it. Right. And then wring their hands and say, oh, my God, why did this movie fail? Okay, well, I could tell you where you could start, (laughs) and it might be with the casting. That was a very
0: interesting situation, too, because I didn't even know about Aloha until after I had saw the published open letter from Cameron Crowe responding mm -hmm. to his critics, which, of course, happened after the movie tanked at the box office.
1: Right. Uh, So I I had not even heard of Aloha prior to that. I mean, you got to spend 50, 60 million dollars to realize we did a bad thing. Why not try and head it off at the pass or stop it up front? But again, it's that who's in that room to say, hey, this looks funny. Right. And they don't have that. There's no one in a position of power to say, let's take a step back and check the optics. Again, we're so obsessed with this image that we're putting out, but we're not looking at the optics. One of these days, someone's going to get it right. They're going to have a good balance of putting forth the image of the film or whatever you're doing and then making sure the optics balance out so that there is no controversy and you don't have to lose 40, 50 million dollars on this investment and and, and 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 look silly in the process.
0: Exactly. And it makes me wonder if Cameron Crowe would have actually had the wherewithal to apologize had this movie actually done well and become successful.
1: It's funny, but would it matter you apologize because someone will do it Shortly after him, like, okay, so if uh, Alex Proyas, the director of uh, Gods of Egypt, didn't learn after uh, uh, Ridley Scott did um, Exodus of Gods and Kings, mm-hmm. and nothing is stopping whoever's making Ghost in the Shell, mm, mm, and mm. it's not stopping the people making Death Note, mm, mm,
3: mm.
1: and it didn't stop anybody while they were making Suffragette. <laughs> And it didn't stop anyone when they made Dragon Ball Evolution. I mean, there's a list. So it's like no one learns their lesson. And at some point, the lesson has to be learned. You know, there are a lot of movies that were flops this year. And and Hollywood was wringing their hands. Oh, my God, that that movie Burnt with um, Bradley Cooper. Oh, it was a flop. It was a flop. Aloha was a flop. And it's like all of these movies are just so, I'll use it, they were so Wonder Mm Mm-hmm. And people are bored. I think people are finally getting a little bored, getting a little fed up, and just saying, I'm not interested, I'm not rewarding you with my hard-earned money. And I don't blame them. I mean, we had
0: this discussion before on the last show about Gem the Movie and how a lot of fans were just really upset about how this franchise that was for girls was just completely dude Mm -hmm. brotified,
2: patriarchy
0: and... (laughs) And they removed the creator, Christy Marks, from the project and really didn't involve her until social media got on them about it
2: mm-hmm. and
0: completely just changed the way the story was. And it, and it's a shame that such a great franchise that has been a part of our childhood memories for so long just got ripped to shreds by these dude bros. That's John Chu, Scott, Jason Blum, and I forgot Sco, Scooter Braun. So it's just it's really unfortunate, and and I'm glad that people came out in numbers to make that film not really
1: happen or or didn't come out in numbers (laughs) or didn't yeah exactly didn't didn't show up at home in numbers (laughs) right and just sort of snarked it to death as it should have been because it you know it's not our gem it's it's no one's gem that that's the gem that should have never been right Right. Um, it's I I don't know it's unfortunate but again it's unfortunate that it took them to lose that much money to to realize oh yeah I guess we did mess up yeah we've been trying to tell you that all along and with Jem the movie
0: there was something that was actually very similar to our discussion about whitewashing but it's another category of colorism that was happening with that one with the Shayna character yeah. played by oh I forget her name right now but
1: I know she's the daughter of Harold Perrineau
0: Aurora Perrineau, yes. Yeah. Aurora um, Perineau play the uh, play the role of Shayna Elmsford from Gem. And most of us who know Gem and know the history of Shayna, she is a dark skinned character with a natural and Aurora, who is biracial, has very long straight hair and is very light skinned. So that was problematic, especially for women of color that are darker skinned. It's bad enough that there's not enough representation out there for darker skinned black women. And to again have this colorism issue continue to just happen over and over and over again. It it was a slap in the face. So a lot of black women were mad at the movie because of
1: that. Yeah, yeah. And, and one thing, another thing that Hollywood kind of has to get over itself is that white characters are the the crutch, or, or the... I don't know if it's a crutch, that if we throw this one in here, it'll make everybody feel better. As sort of a, I don't know, sort of pacifying someone. Like, uh, if I recall, Gina Prince-Bythewood mentioned that um, in casting the love interest in Beyond the Lights... They originally wanted him to be white, and she refused. Mm. You know, no. Sorry about a black biracial woman, but, you know, she she needs, there has to be black love in there somewhere. And the studio was like, "Mm, no, we beg to differ. And she fought on that, and I'm glad she won that battle.
0: That's Uh, crazy to me that they would fight over that when she did Love and Basketball, which got so much critical acclaim. And that was a black love romantic story. So why would you take that away from her when this is her wheelhouse?
1: But how many do we only get like one every 15 years, right? <laughs> we get like <laughs> one black movie every 15 That's years. That's true. You can't do this. Unless when it's again, a Tyler Perry have, movie. Uh, oh, well. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Just saying.
1: <laughs> yeah, then we get five every six months. Um, but yeah, to, to actually say, well, you have to put one in here to make it to make it right. Well, no, it doesn't make it right. It changes the complete, the whole course of the story changes. If you do that. Right. I'm glad that she, you know, she stuck her guns and said, no, this is an absolute no go, no go with me. I think what will happen or hopefully what will happen is that this, this change, this, this new wave of actually doing the proper casting might start at a smaller level and sort of ripple out. And, and I mean that like, um, Daredevil season two Hmm. has their new Electra and it's not what we had when we had the movie. Right. So, you know, we might not get it on the big screen first. It might come down to fixing things on the small screen and having it reverberate uh, out to other arenas. So I'm, I'm excited about the casting of Electra for season two of Daredevil. Hopefully that trend continues right moving forward with uh whatever they decide to do with iron fist whether it's a show or a movie or whatever um
0: well it'll be a netflix series we know that for certain but we just don't know if we're getting a white danny rand or an asian iron fist right yeah i you know what i'm curious to know why is it that tv seems to get it right when it comes to diversity but the movie industry is just so far behind. They are so archaic with how they represent people of color on screen. I, I don't understand why there's such a disparity there. Because a lot of these Hollywood studios are in bed with one another. And I, I don't understand how, you know, like Paramount has done stuff for television and film. And Sony has done stuff for television and film. So I, I don't understand how you can get it right in one medium, but not the other.
1: Is it a case of maybe left hand not talking to right hand, the film arm not talking to the television arm? Because I'm guessing that the the television executives rotate in and out more frequently than the movie executives do. Mm. So you get a lot more – you get different perspectives and fresher perspectives every so often in the TV industry as opposed to what you get in the film industry. You've got people running studios who've been in place for decades, and they're making the same decisions – that they made back in 1990, they're still making those same decisions now in 2015. Oh yeah, this works. I mean, look at the reboot cycle that we're having. We're like in this 15, 20 year point. Everything that was released 15, 20 years ago is now coming back out. I'm pretty sure if you took a look at studio executive roster, it's those same people who released those movies back then are releasing the same movies now. So no, we're not going to have any progress if those same people are making decisions. They got to (laughs) die. It's, it's, they got to go. One got to go. They all got to go. Actually, <laughs> They all have to go. That's the only way you'll get change. Just
0: put them in a Game of Thrones episode and let them have at it in Westeros. Like
1: Survivor? Like... Just put them in a Survivor on an island somewhere. Let them battle it out. Make a show out of that. Something.
3: That'll...
1: Yeah. You got to get rid of the people at the top making those same awful decisions. And until that happens, we're going to keep getting Trimmers and Mummy and, and Poltergeist. And, and yeah, Memento reboots. Top Gun. Why? Who thought it
0: was a good idea to bring in an old ass Tom Cruise and Val Kilmer into
1: a Top Gun movie? Tom Cruise wants to stay working. I can't knock his hustle, but I would like for him to sit down. (laughs) (laughs) Because between Top Gun and his name being mentioned in in conjunction with the Mummy remake. Oh, yeah. I heard
0: about that. Somebody said on Twitter, is he going to play the Mummy? (laughs) you know at this
1: point he's pushing it
0: he really is he's almost
1: there not an egyptian mummy because we all know he doesn't do accents well and i don't want him ever trying to do an accent ever again
0: well according to the folks over at gods of egypt he could be egyptian stop so i'm just saying (laughs) flag on the
1: play no (laughs) no no no
0: (laughs) No more. So there was another movie that was also very problematic uh, and a lot of feminists on Twitter had it out as well with the suffragette movie. And again, we're in this situation where white feminism just completely erase women of color and, mm-hmm. and, and they're just very oblivious to marginalized voices. And there was a shirt campaign what was it that the shirts had the printing of? I'd rather
1: be free than a slave. Mm. I, I can find, but I I, I remember that. Yeah. That, that sounds <laughs> I'm, about I'm right. A rebel. I'd rather be a rebel than be a slave.
0: I'd rather be a rebel than be a slave. I mean, something like that. That's when you know that there's no people of color around you to go. Hey, guess what? That's, That's not cool. Not <laughs> You shouldn't really say that.
1: Yes, it was a quote from Emmeline Pankhurst. Yes, it was a quote. Yes, that's who Meryl Streep was playing. Yes, yes, we know it was said. Semicolon, however, comma, the optics, they're not good if you put that on a shirt. Yeah, exactly. And it, it rubs salt
0: in the wound because they only show the white women activists during that time and, of course, everybody had a well-actually moment by saying, well, they're just representing history. Well, guess what? That's not accurate. There were right. black women feminists that were a part of that movement. There were other women of color feminists that were a part of that movement. So right. to say that no women of color were involved in the suffrage movement is absolutely false. So they, that was a fail on their part not to do better research to include it and make it an intersectional film.
1: I do recall the director. I believe her name is Sarah Gavron, mentioning how yes, she was aware of one woman. I believe over in England, and she was uh, of Indian descent. And the reason why they chose not to include her is because she heard she was getting her own movie somewhere else. So she mm-hmm. didn't feel that she need to put. She didn't feel the need to put her in this one. That sounds personal. That just sounds like
0: she's being spiteful, like, okay, well, you're doing your own film, so I'm going to do well, my I thing over it was here.
1: Covered. I thought it was covered, so I don't see the need to cover it here. Well, you know, you can give her a cameo. I, I didn't see the movie, so I'm not sure if if, if if she held true to that. Maybe she got a cameo or a mention or something. I don't know. I I, I refuse to watch this. Same. Uh, I, I know there are other people who said they wanted to watch it just to see, you know, because it's historical. Yeah, but it's not – It's. It's historical fiction, and we get enough of that as it is. If you look at any movies about Egypt, we get enough historical fiction. <laughs> Do we really need more historical fiction? Uh, right. No. So right. I, I just I chose not to watch. I, I, and I'm not sure, again, I'm not sure if, if that actually, if she held to that. But her, her justification was, well, I know I didn't put this one woman in there because I heard she was being talked about somewhere else. So I didn't see the need to cover it. It's that's lazy to me. Sorry. It,
0: it it really is lazy. And would it hurt to just have women of color just in the background somewhere? Like I, I understand you're trying to have some sort of historical accuracy in your very small, narrow, closed minded ideas of feminism. But would it be okay just for like five seconds you have a woman standing there with a sign going, Yeah, Let's women's rights. Let's do this. Like, right. So, something because like you said, optics, optics do matter. And when we just see a monolith of white faces in 2015, that's a problem.
1: It really is. And like I said, it's this change, the change that needs to happen. It's going to come. Yeah. We, I don't expect anything from the movie industry at all. I, I think television will be the means by which this change comes. And this year has been a really good year, uh, I, I think, for Asian representation in television. Yes. Uh, you had, you know, of course, like, Southeast Asian, like with uh, Aziz Ansari and Master of None. We have uh, Fresh Off the Boat, got renewed for a second season. You have Dr. Ken on ABC, I believe. Um, nice. And, of course, Into the Badlands on AMC is doing great things. Yes. Uh, got Daniel Wu as the lead Um, It features women who kick ass just like the men do. I love when the the widow appeared last Sunday. Again, that's why I think I just I have my fingers crossed. I hope (laughs) Iron Fist goes the right way by having like an an Asian American Iron an Asian uh, uh, Iron Fist of Asian origin as opposed to just blonde haired blue eyed kind of guy. I mean, we have such great precedent to go on that it would be successful. Right. Um, It's not a gamble at this point to cast someone who is Asian of Asian descent in that league? it's not a gamble. These people took the gambles and they pay it off. Now it's it's someone else's turn to continue this moving forward because, you know, for years, uh, that that culture, that Asian culture has been appropriated by white characters. I mean, like, uh, what's his name? Carradine, David Carradine in and, and Kung Fu. Uh-huh, yeah. You know, white guy gets all the mysticism and all the wisdom, but the where's the where's where are the Asian people in the background? Mm-hmm. At some point, it would be nice if they can be the center of their, their culture. Exactly. <laughs> and, and we can get, they can get some shine. Why can't they get the shine?
0: I, I think it's even worse for Asian Americans to be whitewashed on screen because, oh, it's the, awful. It, you know, we, we were mentioning some of the anime films, the anime live action films that are scheduled to come out with Ghost in the Shell and Death Note. It's very problematic, but I wanted to ask you this, because I, I don't really watch a whole lot of anime. I did recently watch Death Note, which mm-hmm. was amazing. Um, i get into that one. Oh, God, it was so good. It was addictive, and I binge-watched it, like, I think it was 15 or 20 episodes, and I binge-watched mm-hmm. them in, like, three days. But with with Death Note and, and um, the other film, Ghost in the Shell, with, with anime, the characters do tend to look white. Right. So it makes me wonder, is that why the whitewashing is so prominent in live-action adaptations? Because they figure, well, we really do want them to look as white as they do in in animation form.
1: Right. True. I can see that. I can see that question being raised. But then there's that little thing called research. (laughs) that the studio could do to say, maybe this would still look funny. I, I, you know, it's funny you mentioned that because I had a conversation with someone and she heard the exact opposite. She had this, she went to go see attack on Titan. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been kind of binging on that. And the live action attack on Titan movie came out a couple of months ago. She said she was in the theater and heard people upset that there were Japanese actors in the movie. But it's Japanese, it's Japanese anime, it was made by a Japanese studio, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and the viewers were, and not everyone, but there were a few people who were upset because they were using Japanese actors and the characters had American names, is what they said. (laughs) And she said, you do realize... This is made in Japan and it's Japanese anime. But they're using American names. And it's like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you got this all wrong. You're mad that they used Japanese people? Yes, they should have used Americans. Wow. At that point she had to walk she said, I had to walk away. I thought I was in the Twilight Zone. You're mad they kept it authentic. It's it's, it's like a
0: brainwashing. People are so Brainwashed and conditioned at this point to see white images on their TV screen or on the big screen, that anything that shows someone of a person of color, it's a it's a big deal or it's jarring to their senses.
1: But it's you know um, this conversation came up earlier because there was a bit of a a bit of a discussion going on about um, why why at the root of it all it it is important to have uh, at least consider having an Asian American cast as, as Iron Fist. And I believe you had him on your show before. Uh, John Sui yes. um, had an excellent thread on his timeline about how uh, I'm just going to read maybe two or three of these. Asian-Americans have grown up where our differences are the punchline, accents, customs, food, etc. These things are made into the joke, um, whether it be in a movie or a television show. So we don't get fully realized characters. We get caricatures. Um, And he goes on to say is, so what you have is Asian culture used to create interesting narratives for straight white male characters. He goes on to say, so my question is, when do Asian characters get to shine when our culture is highlighted? Wow. Yeah. You know, we've been people, black people have been fighting for representation. I think we're finally kicking in the door, Mm -hmm. but there's still room for improvement for others.
0: There is. There is. And also, you know, when it comes to representation of people's gender identity and sexuality Mm -hmm. and people with disabilities, I I think that anytime you exclude a group of people, you are taking away their representation and Mm -hmm. representation matters. And it's not just some buzz phrase that sounds like it's cool to say. It shapes who you are. It shapes who you become. And if I had seen images as a kid, when I was reading comic books of black women as superheroes and there were black women superheroes when I was reading comics, but there weren't that many. If I <laughs> saw as many black women superheroes as I saw white superheroes, I would have a lot more confidence. I would have a lot more confidence in my skin and right. my sensibilities as a woman, as a woman of color. And you know, you hear this term, I, I like hearing this term, uh, white have have some white dude confidence. Like, <laughs> because white, especially like mediocre white guys are like super confident in everything. And if if I had just a bit of that, I think it, it would have probably changed the course of, of, you know, where, where my journey is as far as my career and, and just trying to be successful and all of my achievements and goals. So I, I just think it's really important that we understand how representation can really change the path of, of where you go
1: in your I, lifetime. I, I agree. I definitely agree. And, and, and the me- viewers and the media as well have to realize how important that is. And media needs to sort of take care in how they report on these things. Um, I remember seeing a review of Into the Badlands. I won't name the publication. But um, in it, they immediately compared Daniel Wu to Clint Eastwood in terms of his steely resolve. And I thought, uh, well, that's odd. Are there no other martial arts characters you can kind of throw in there? You go straight for <laughs> you go straight for Clint Eastwood.
0: <laughs> that's um, that
1: is odd. I, I would
0: assume that they would have used Bruce Lee because he's like the de facto martial arts.
1: Yeah, know. yeah. Uh, and I there was this sort of odd linkage of well, yeah, martial arts and westerns, but again, he chose to compare Daniel Wu, this very accomplished martial artsman, to Clint Eastwood. Interesting. Nope. That math does not add up to me. I'm so <laughs> sorry. I did not get that comparison at all. I don't either. Yeah. And he really didn't like the show. Uh, you can just tell it wasn't his cup of tea. Ah. But it was more so, I'm betting that he really loved Kung Fu growing up. I loved, I know he loved watching David Carradine, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, he says that he's a fan of Game of Thrones, um, Big Love, Waterworld. I mean these things have a few things in common. I don't have to say what, but okay, I can understand why he's not into the, into the Badlands, but right. please don't compare this man to Clint Eastwood ever in life again. No. What do
0: you think we should do? I mean, the boycotting is something that I think obviously should happen, but what other things can we do to just like let people know, and it doesn't have to be executives and, and movie studio people, but just the general public to realize how problematic whitewashing is to people of color?
1: Maybe not so much. Maybe try taking the offensive. Uh, maybe just highlighting content that features more people of color. Yeah. And pushing for support of that. And that way the conversation changes. We're not talking about what Hollywood's doing wrong or what these people are doing wrong. But let's talk about who's doing something right. And let's highlight them and let's push them and let's promote them. And let's get them out there. If you do that sort of, you know, in waves, the change is gradual. Because I don't really like talking about something without having a solution. Yeah, you know, Hollywood sucks and they've sucked for a while and they're probably gonna keep messing up with this right. No. We know, and I know you've featured on your site and they're featured in many places, uh creators, diverse creators who are making wonderful content that looks more like what we know, what we look like, what we can appreciate, what we relate to. Let's just push that. Let's just change the conversation to people who are doing what they can to counter what Hollywood is doing and let's give them their shine, and eventually somebody will notice. At least that's 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 what I think.
0: I completely agree with that. I Again, I think it's very important because I just remember seeing Issa Rae's Misadventures of Awkward Black Girl on YouTube one night and thinking, how cool is this that this girl, who's very awkward and nerdy in her demeanor, and she's essentially created this nerd archetype through this character, Jay, uh, it's just very interesting and engaging to watch. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it inspired me to go, well, you know what? I wonder if there's any content on the web that feature black women as nerds and geeks. And, and I just typed in black girl nerds in the search engine one night. And, and that is attributed to a lot of the work that Issa Ray had done several months prior to me doing that Google search. And had I not seen that I don't even know if Black Girl Nerds would be here because, again, that type of representation and and seeing those images and going, oh, my God, I finally see someone who is a lot like me, who looks like me, who I can connect with. I feel like we're cut from the same cloth. There are women like Issa Rae that's creating these works that's actually building and carving a path for other women to do the same thing or do other type of platforms that are similar.
1: Exactly. And that's how change happens. You know, one person gets in, they reach back and they help with someone else, they help another. And that's exactly, you, you've got someone who gets in there, they change a little bit, they bring someone else in, they make, a, they do a little bit more. And you just build this network, you build this network of, of creators of color of, of you know, uh, content creators, and you get your product out there, whether it's a comic, whether it's a TV show, whether it's a short film or whatever. You find a way to tell your story and don't worry about what those other people are doing. Eventually someone will notice the right people will notice. Great
0: discussion. This was fun. I really enjoyed this chat. I think that having these kind of conversations and just, Kind of letting it all out because it's easy to just vent about it on Twitter and
1: then. Oh yeah, we can snark about it all day in 140 (laughs) characters, but when it comes down to it, like I said, I don't like to complain and not really have a solution or you know try to find a way to actually address it. But I figure you know if we all stick together, all us nerds stick together,
0: people will notice. People will notice. Yep, and we got it. Money's missing. exactly and we 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 really do like in all seriousness we really need to stick together and support each other's efforts in all things whether you're someone that's trying to get into writing or someone that's trying to get into the film industry or music that we just need to share each other's content and and promote it and just build each other up because we're all we got yep exactly thank you lauren give us your
1: social media shout outs and any projects that you're working on I am on Twitter at the handle at IamLaurenP. Um, the Diversity in Gaming series is ongoing still. Uh, it took a bit of a slow turn for the holidays, but we'll pick up <laughs> afterwards. Um, right now we are doing a few writing projects. Uh, nothing to speak of just yet, but they are in the works and you will probably know soon.
0: Hey, you listeners of the Black Girl Learns podcast. Guess what? Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. That's right. For 30 days, absolutely free, you get a chance to listen to their whole category of books. Audible is great for when you're on the go, you're commuting to work, or you're on break at lunch and you want to sneak in a chapter or two from your favorite book. It's a great resource to have. I personally have used Audible service when I did the Song of Ice and Fire series. I did Storm of Swords. It was very helpful for me to get through my book when I would read it at home, and then if I wanted to get in some chapters, read it on the go. Because as you know, for books that are as dense as George R.R. Martin's Game of Thrones series, or A Song of Ice and Fire series. It, it takes a minute to get through those books. So the audiobooks really do help me use that on the go while I'm reading it at the same time. Some people just prefer audiobooks, period, which are great. But if you're like me, you like to read and then also get your audiobook in at the same time and then pick up where you left off in your hardback book or your paperback book at home, it's a great resource to have. So check that out. Go to Audible trial dot com forward slash BGM podcast. Again, it's Audibletrial.com forward slash BGM podcast. And use that link that takes you over to the form that you can fill out to get your free audiobook download just for listening to the Black Girl Nerds podcast. So take advantage, it's great, it's fun, and you can download your free audiobook today at audibletrial.com forward slash bgm podcast to get your free audiobook thanks for listening back to the show and now here's our next segment featuring joelle monique and alex DeCampi.
4: thank you so much for being here i'm so excited for this new arc of no mercy um Looks well, great. I've been enjoying the series so much so far. Um, for our fans who haven't picked up the comic book, huge mistake. First of all, definitely go out and pick it up. Can you give us a quick elevator pitch for No Mercy? Sure.
2: Um, I say one of two things about it normally. One that it's it's a book about texting emoji and sudden death. <laughs> um, and the other is that uh, for you film nerds out there, um, it's a John Hughes script directed by Sam Peckinpah. Um, you know, yes. it's lost but with kids and no smoke monsters. Um, basically, a group of uh, incoming college freshmen take this voluntarism trip right before they enter college, organized by the school to go build schools and to build like elementary schools in Central America in some remote mountain village. And it's so one of these like get to know the other freshmen, do something good with your life kind of thing. And the school these kids are going to is is an Ivy League school, is Princeton. So they're all kind of these hothouse, like very academically directed kids who, when someone says, oh well do this volunteerism thing that'll look amazing on your resume. They're all like Pavlovianly conditioned to be like, okay. So they do. And then a very bad thing happens and they never get to the village. Um, And the bad thing is not the worst thing in the comic book. In fact, it's not even the worst thing that happens to them in the first 24 hours. So um, there's no powers. There's no magic. There's no vampires. um, No aliens. It's all stuff that could happen in real life um and the kids we try to make them as as real as we can um because that's a really interesting age to write the sort of 17 18 year old about to go to college age because uh the kids while very complex individuals are not entirely sure who they want to be yet and also when you put a whole bunch of new kids together there's all this kind of like very delicate social balancing and pecking order stuff that happens we, we never go Lord of the Flies. It's not that kind of book or Battle Royale, much as I love Battle Royale. Um, it's more um, the subtle jockeying, of position who becomes friends with who and, and who doesn't. I mean, the word, it's a very brutal, violent comic book, but it also has kittens in it, like pictures of kittens. Um, so it, it goes between very funny to very brutal very quickly. Uh, at, but And I want to say this not to scare off, like, men. <laughs> but it takes a lot of its cues from some of the better shoujo manga in terms of like good shoujo manga is seriously hardcore i mean it's like two girls buttonholing like the nerdy girl who's kind of hanging out with a cute guy in a corner and being like if you talk to him again we'll break your finger Mm -hmm. and i'm like hard. (laughs) that kind of book i can get behind people are like (laughs) this is an early book and i'm like no they're threatening to fucking kill each other like girls in real life Real life high school, like you know, and and I think one of the things we try to capture in No Mercy is just how nasty uh, teenagers can be to each other without being physically violent. How much sort of emotional and 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 verbal violence can happen? Um, Because you know, I mean, if we look back at, I mean, I maybe I had a particularly checkered high school past, but I don't remember a lot of physical violence. I do remember a. Crap ton of intimidation though, mm-hmm. and bullying um, of all kinds, and that's still, you know, that's still, these kids aren't aren't past that yet. Um, but they're, the first four issues are out. There's a really cheap 9.99 image trade which you can go buy, um, available mostly everywhere. And then issue five comes out on December 9th along with my final Grindhouse trade from Dark Horse. So if you're a fan of trashy, sleazy, blood splattered horror, you yeah. should. Too. And the final one um, has Lady Danger in it, which is my black exploitation story, Lily Jarvis, which is actually the least exploitation-y in terms of uh, nudity and, and well, there's a fair amount of violence. Um, they're ninjas. Uh, <laughs> it's more of like a really fun sort of black superheroine story. You know, she's a, she's a secret agent, you know, Lady Danger, agent of Booty. Bureau yes. of Organized Terrorism Intervention. So, you know, when, when Americans get in trouble abroad, the president doesn't send the marines anymore. He just sends one black girl. I love it! And the other story in that trade is Nebulina, which is basically space porn.
4: This sounds
2: <laughs> fantastic! It, it's really violent space erotica.
4: <laughs> I'm totally on board for that. <laughs>
2: More of that, that please. That is fourth and final grindhouse trade. So if you like... Um, it, 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 We we didn't really market it this way when it came out, but Grindhouse is is actually very pro-feminine and uh, pro-people of color um, and pro-queer. We wanted to kind of release it as a stealth thing because, first of all, at that point, nobody like half of comics thought I was a guy anyway. I was. I I wanted I wanted to write a book that was basically boobs and gore that got into the hands of the classic, you know, Green Lantern T-shirt wearing straight white. 35 year old comics nerd and then like you know they kind of appealed to his sensibilities but then also like my my friends could pick it up and not get to the point in the book that I call I call the fuck you point which is where you're reading a book and you're like I really like this I'm like really- oh fuck you you know yes. it's like, raped you know like just to prove that somebody's bad you're like no die no, die in a fight we don't need that we don't need that at <laughs> all so Um, you know, the stories are, are, you know, I mean, women certainly do horrible things. People are really nasty to each other. It's exploitation, you know, it's going to happen. It's really tasteless. Um, but it's never, it's never, uh, misogynistic. It never has a very, uh, there's not that straight, like strange masculine gaze thing where the women don't really have any agency and they're just there to, you know, actualize and be goals of the male characters. And like, there isn't any of that. It's just... Gory, violent, tasteless fun with endings that'll make you go, "So fuck yeah!" and pump your hand in the air because everyone needs nice, happy, strong endings.
4: That is the best sale for a comic book I've heard in so long. I have to
2: check that out. Sounds awesome. And they're two two stories, and they're not related to each other, so you can pick up any trade. Gives you two stories. If you like them, pick up more. Excellent. Fun. They have names like Bee Vixens from Mars. I mean, how can you not love a comic that's called Bee Vixens from Mars? You
4: guys go out and get Grindhouse because it <laughs> sounds dope as hell. Oh my goodness.
2: <laughs> Holy cow. Sometimes uh, you, sometimes it's just going to go full stupid. Y- yes. Yes. <laughs> too much time of- it's trying to be too serious right now. It's like, not this book. <laughs>
4: I love it. And it's so rare nowadays, I feel like, to be able to just pick up a comic book, uh, any number, and be able to kind of dive into the story. Everything is so serialized, and you really need to know what happened five issues before. So it's great that you can kind of just pick one up yeah. and get started.
2: Yeah. it's uh, Retailers have had a lot of fun with it because it's really easy to hand sell because every story is complete with two issues. So they're like, here, try two issues of this. Here's a complete story. If you like it, come back for more. And people are like, oh, okay. you yes. know.
4: Excellent. In uh, No Mercy, uh, it's clear that you travel frequently. I really like there's a line in the first book where they get their money, um, and they refer to it as looking like play money. Um, And I'm wondering, why did you want to tell a story about a
2: bunch of kind of entitled American kids
4: traveling around? Because
2: I was that kid. (laughs) I've done a lot of traveling in my life from, you know, I was out of the States for almost 17 years, living in places like Hong Kong and the Philippines, and uh, a little bit of time in Mexico City and in Argentina, and then in London, and where I was going to Eastern Europe a lot uh, for reasons. Um, And then I came back in the beginning of 2008, and I've been here pretty much since. Um, But even before that, I was traveling uh, when I, on off summers from college, I'd spent a summer teaching English in Poland I spent a, where I snuck across the Russian border. Don't do that. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't get caught, thankfully, because basically I just went, woo and turned around and ran, ran right back because, you know, I'm, not a, I'm, 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 I'm a fool, but I'm not an idiot. And, uh, you know, uh, staying in Switzerland with friends, working, interning in London, you know, I've, I've raced across the South China Sea from Hong Kong to the Philippines four times in various sailboats. Wow. Always in a storm, always in a damn storm. <laughs> uh, you get there faster but you know
3: Holy
2: cow! Uh, so I've done some stuff and uh, you know, by all accounts if there were any justice in the world I would be dead or in jail um, because I did a whole bunch of really dumb things um, some of which we relate in the back matter of, of No Mercy because I do an essay about basically me being stupid overseas each issue um, and so a lot of my work is about which is probably unusual for like a white chick, but like a lot of my work is about being outside of your comfort zone, outside of your own culture, um, and confronting what it, what, what you really are by seeing, by being someplace that you are not, that you don't really belong. And, you know, I've got future stories about, uh, U.S. expatriates in Cuba, for example, um, my next image book is about, uh, two Soviet operatives in California in the ni- in 1971. And one of them barely speaks the language. Um, it barely speaks English. Um, so it's about that cloak of silence and, and being separated from what, you know, where, where you are, because you can't really communicate very well. Um, and also, you know, having just shot a bunch of people, <laughs> 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 okay, finally, um so i wanted to you know I, I it fascinates americans abroad fascinate me um and we have a really broad range of kids from all over the u.s um all backgrounds and some of them are much better prepared than others to cope with the disaster they find themselves in i mean most of them don't speak spanish because you know why would they right. uh, you know some of them like one of them has a map and like a head torch and like kind of some camping stuff the other ones just don't they just you know one guy came in his sway gucci loafers good old troy um uh, <laughs> i love troy so much
4: i love so much. troy too
2: he's so sarcastic he's,
4: he's, a, the saltiest you know, attitude.
2: he's one of our two queer characters um the other one obviously being charlene um and i just you know i think the one thing that um that, that, that threw a lot of people early on in the book is a lot of the kids initially come off as, as, as somewhat unlikable um, and some of the character, characters you don't even really get to meet until issue two or issue three because there are a lot of them and I think, you know, it was just I was, again, just trying really hard to base them on, on real teenagers rather than our view of how teenagers act and I didn't want to have this immediate sort of patsy hero type who was like, oh, I'm really nice and awesome because people just aren't like that, especially in times of unimaginable stress and, and fear. especially
4: in high school.
2: And in high school. And as you get to know them, you start getting below the surface veneer of what they're trying to front as. Mm-hmm. And you find out who they really are. And I think one of the fun journeys in the book is you're going to find yourself really, really liking some of the characters that initially you're like, God, I can't stand her. Or like, <laughs> oh, he's, such a, he's such a twerp. Um, Chad, I can guarantee you, you'll probably still hate Chad because Chad is just that guy. Chad's an Um, asshole. (laughs) Jerk. But he's based on people I know, you know, the conversations that Chad has are almost all verbatim from things I remember from high school and college.
4: Amazing. I get get the, the feeling of that. Like there's no kind of, um, there's no fakeness about the book. Um, I really enjoy the fact that there's no extra sci-fi kind of thing going on that is is driving their actions it's
2: completely human driven where would I put that in the book like the book is full the book is like really really dense I mean I know the first trade you're thinking oh first trade only four issues but like we put more story in an issue than like some people have put in six issue arcs I
4: mean you throw a bus off a cliff in issue one (laughs) like in the first couple of pages of issue like it happens fast
2: Yep, and that's not even the main story point I love it I love it Uh, so much and and we introduced like ten characters before that. Then we chuck the bus off uh, the bus off a mountain and then we have the the, the aftermath of that disaster, um, and the setup for issue two. And another fun thing about the book is we've written it kind of I say we, it's me, Carlos Speed McNeil on line art and Jen Manley Lee on colour art, but like we all cross over and like help each other out. And it's a very it's very much the way a book, a comic should be, and that we're all collaborating and all working to make the book better. And it doesn't matter whose idea it is if it's a good idea, we do it. So no one's getting like, oh well, you can't ch- change my line of dialogue because I'm the writer, you know? Because that. Just, <laughs> why? <laughs> but you'd be surprised how often that happens in comics. People um, get
4: really into. I come from film school, so I've seen a lot of people just be very like my project it's like ideas are not scary guys you can yeah try all kinds of things you're the director everyone's
2: going to give you credit anyway for our mm. good ideas so just take them <laughs> I, I direct as well so yeah i've and i've that's how i run film sets i'm like i don't care whose idea it is like a i'm gonna get credit for it anyway and b we should just do it <laughs> <laughs>
4: absolutely <laughs> why would you want to work here the other way How do you guys work together? Do you kind of, uh, do you go with a script? Are you kind of doing more Marvel method? What's your approach to working with an artist?
2: I'm full of doing Marvel method. I really (laughs) am. It it gives me the fear in such a big way. I have to write complete detailed scripts, full panel breakdowns, everything. It's all there. And then I write a little note to the artist at the top of the script, which says like, dear person I'm working with for the first time, dear, (laughs) your name here. I have written a full script for you. Uh, it is, uh, please view it as a safety net on days when you're getting up and you're stressed or you're tired, you're just not feeling it, or like you've got other things on your mind and it's all there for you to just draw. However, on other days, you are more than welcome to chuck the whole damn thing out the window and, and do whatever you want, as long as it supports the story points. And I letter my own work. So if you send back art that is, you know, that has like three extra pages added, cause you were digging on some some symbolism or some imagery or, um, you know, you've decided to get rid of some panels and add different ones. Like I can, I can wing that. I'm fine with that. Um, I always read dialogue anyway. On my, on my, um, when I'm, when I'm lettering, I was like, Oh, I'm like why have I written all this dialogue? I don't need this. Take, 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 take. Oh, that's really dumb. I'm going to change the way I say that. And we're going to move this balloon to that panel because it's more impactful and oh, let's just sprinkle some sound effects all over. So we're very uh, we're very laid back and and I can cope with a lot. Uh, I made a lot of books, so you know I'm okay. Like this isn't the hill I'm going to die on. Yeah, there. Are I have had to fire artists uh, mostly for not giving me the respect in return that I was giving them. Mm. Um. Uh, you know, doing like mostly it's just really combat, like combative behavior. Plus, not finishing your damn work. Um, I'm not like I don't get paid enough to deal with caps lock filled emails about how you're upset that you colored half the book wrong because you didn't read the damn script that said it happens all over one night and you oh. colored. Like, nope, not at home for that. Because also, you know, there is the secret role often of the writer. Not always but often the writer is the producer and the money person behind indie books. I'm not spending my own money, but there is an advance for No Mercy, and I am getting none of it. It's all going to my artists, and that's pretty much how it is on all my books. I take only back end. My artists get an advance because Longa Vita Brevis, and they take a, you know, like it takes a, pay, a, a day to draw and ink a page if you're fast. So like, where does the money come from for that? Right. Uh, artists have to be paid. It takes much longer to draw than it does to write. Um so, you know, if someone's giving me a ton of shit and being an asshole about a book that they're getting paid three hundred dollars a page for, um and I'm not getting anything, and I'm like, hey, this thing you drew, like I don't think this panel transition works. Would you mind tweaking it? And they're like they just don't. It's like
4: okay. Oh my Bye. Oh my. I don't understand how you can work in a collaborative art form and not collaborate <laughs> it just makes those so sweet people are like i've made my decision and i will be unmoved
2: pretty much um uh, i i one i'm gonna someday like i'm gonna fucking like cross stitch it this one email <laughs> i got from this artist like i am like in caps lock i am in charge of all the visuals <gasps> and i'm gonna like put little love hearts on it and like do a cross stitch and put it on my wall just to remind me that that person yeah those people are out there um goodness you need a number of skills to be a successful comics person i lack a number i lack a few of them diplomacy being one of them (laughs) Um, but you know you got to be good nice you got you got to be two out of three of good nice and fast if you're all three you'll never be out of work but there are some people who just aren't like they don't play well with others. It's not enough. And, and some of them are wildly talented, which is what's really frustrating. Like, it's not enough to be talented. You have to not be an asshole, too. Because there are a lot of artists out there, and most of them aren't assholes.
4: In our studio, that's rule number one. Don't be an asshole. It's very simple, easy to follow. <laughs> it's not. It's really not. And people make a big deal out of it. But just, just consider other people. We're all people. We're all just trying to make art. And at the end of the day, like it's a book or a tv show or a movie no one will ever die by this like we're just trying to entertain people like
2: yeah. and you know family comes first and if a, if, a, if an artist has a has a family problem or an illness or like something's just got like they're just going through some stuff fine it's only a comic book and once it comes out nobody's going to remember when it was supposed to come out mm-hmm. they're just going to remember the book um so that's fine and i'm not saying that you know like that's you know i'm i always always you know as mom myself like you get to a certain age where you're just like, okay, we'll wait for you as long as it takes. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Go do your stuff. We'll hold the gig. Um, and again, that comes from having a lot of books out because also when you're like your first couple books are coming out, like comics. Comics is a is a, is a business of delays. <laughs> Every comics pro you talk to, I guarantee you, could, they can talk about one book where they it was just really, really, very delayed. Um, at least one. Hey, pumpkin. <laughs> Okay. Yes, come say what your favorite comic book is.
4: Oh, is this your daughter?
2: This is Lorelai. Hi Lorelai.
4: So Hello. cute. Hi. Hi, Joelle. Hi, happy birthday. Hi.
2: Um scooby doo no, see we do? Who else do you like? What what comic books do you read? Um Archie. <laughs> <laughs> do you like any you know? Archie comics? Um his sisters. Oh, his two, his, 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 uh, Betty and Veronica, the two girls? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Now go back to one. I will be in the sec. And I will make your cake. Say bye-bye. Um, or do you want to be, do you want to quietly play Lego in here? Um. Goodbye. Okay. Okay,
4: goodbye. Thank you.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> so cute. <laughs> she just turned five yesterday. Archie, Archie was really generous um, when I was doing um, Archie Predator, and they sent over this huge box of Archie books because I'm like, I need to read some research. I'm, I'm an, known for being an obsessive research researcher. Um, I often forget I can just make it up. Um, and <laughs> is Lego, by the way. Um, and so they sent me this huge box with like like 5,000 page Archie like compendia. You know, the death of Archie. They sent all of Afterlife at that point, which was like four Yay. issues um and the archie compendium like just gradually just oh, and a lot of betty and veronica issues like dan Parent stuff which is fabulous um and all the archie stuff just gradually started moving into her room even though she, she can't <laughs> read yet uh, she can probably recognize the word archie but she can't like parse a comic but the physical comedy in in the archie books is something she really enjoys because everyone's always falling over and and getting hit and stuff and so they she thinks that's hilarious because she can, she can parse that. She can parse the visual language where she can't parse the actual, uh, actual word balloons.
4: I know a lot of kids who had trouble reading started with comic books and kind of mm-hmm. transition were able to like read the story visually. And then later were able to kind of capture the words and get into it like that. So I think that's awesome. Much better than picture books. You get one picture per page. Like
2: <laughs> I just, it, ma- it makes me really happy even now when I pick up books with illustrations and then it's like, yay, pictures. I
4: love um, The art is, is just, like, the story obviously is great and you need it to get to the art, but man, like, when you dive in and the art is just taking you to a whole nother place, that's when it gets magical. And I know you're such a huge proponent of, of artists. You have a story pinned on your Twitter right now, the ICYMI, about um, making sure artists get Uh, fair compensation for their work and that they they know their value can you tell me a little bit about that mission
2: comics is for for being a noisy combative industry where we all can't even get along on twitter for like a whole day (laughs) um uh we are remarkably silent about a lot of things and what i try to do um because i'm not really a work for hire person i mean if, if i do work for hire but people have to come to me and be like hey I know what you do and I want it I'm not sitting there like always pitching like Deadpool ideas to like um, editors or something I'm not I'm not that girl um, I don't want to be I don't want to spend my, my, my creative life adding new rooms to other people's mansions
3: mm.
2: I build my own mansions I want to be the robber baron of my own subconscious <laughs> no. I have a position that you know I'm mainly independent and I'm able to say some things that other people might be afraid to say because of losing jobs at places like DC or Marvel. Yeah. No, I'm not gonna be hired by those companies <laughs> anyway. So. Um, and so I talk a lot about sexism in the industry, mostly in terms of, you know, who should be responsible for this? Because, you know, sexism happens in any large company. It's, just, it's not a comics thing. It's a, like, law of averages. Get 100 people in the room, one of them's gonna be an asshole um what do we do about this um you know bad journal like my my latest midnight tumblr rant was about um interviewing women and you know the question we always get as what's it like to be a woman in blank which basically takes everything we've achieved and puts it and, and and puts it in a box and says oh you are like kind of we get led in like we're the the exotic curiosity by the, mm. you know, the into the National Geographic side, look, look what I found, you know, a hot and hot maiden. <laughs> um, and we're here, like most weeks, the New York Times graphic novel bestseller list is more than 50% women or books co-created by women. So right. like, we, like, what's it like being a woman in comics? It's just, I'm a writer. I'm not a woman in comics. I'm a successful writer in comics. Yes, <laughs> you know? yes, absolutely. Don't, don't pigeonhole me. Don't don't make me feel like I'm the vanguard of some tiny movement. It was could, frustrating
4: could. watching that Twitter exchange unfold, too, because his response, mostly, um, just to be, you know, to put the offensive part in quotes and... <laughs> You oh, should be right. so snobby about it instead of just, you know, coming to you and just being like, look, I'm sorry, I, I didn't recognize
2: that it was as offensive. And here's a better question. <laughs> it's such a simple hey, fix. I think, yeah, I shouldn't have dragged his ass to the curb on Twitter first. But, you know, <laughs> sometimes, sometimes like something so sexist happens, you just have to sit there and be like, point to it and go, damn, that is sexist.
4: <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, like, in a world with, like, Fiona Staples and Kelly Sue DeConnick and Gail Simone and G. Willow Wilson, like, consistently top-selling wor- people working in the industry, like, Kate Leth is doing everything. Like, why?
2: But the the, the writing, the, 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 the back to the original question, the money thing was um, another thing that we just keep quiet. Like, women keep quiet about how badly they're treated by journalists and how patronizing a lot of the questions are, even though we, we occupy a very, very strong... Huge mm-hmm. position in the industry and sell a ton of books. I mean, admittedly, it's mostly Rain and Tegan but hey, she's one of us, um, <laughs> well, we and
3: right. we love her. Well,
2: and we're all, you know, and and people are quiet about harassment, and people are quiet about money. And the money thing is a real problem because it, it. We have too many comic books right now, and a lot of people are treating like a, a lot of writers and artists who are well meaning and who want to break into the industry are 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 are, are seeming to act as if. The industry is doing them a favor by letting them in at all and then paying them almost nothing and, and making their lives miserable when they're doing like four-issue miniseries of like licensed work for 50 to $90 a page wow. um, for completed colored art. And that can't stand. Like we have to like part of that is because you know in fairness to the companies that are putting these books out if you're selling 3,000 issues of a comic book you're running at a dead loss and you can't afford in advance for anything anyway like you're, you're just barely making back your print cost however you know and, and i acknowledge that everybody's first two deals in in the industry are going to be bad i have had those bad deals i signed the tokyo pop tokyo pop deal twice Um, so, you know, we've all signed bad deals. We will sign bad deals in the future. Sometimes rent needs to be paid. All I'm trying to do is say, I have talked to a whole bunch of people, professional colorists of like 20, 30 years standing, uh, line artists, editors, um, at all major companies, um, you know, writers, like people who have worked literally for every comic book company on the street and some of whom who edited most of them as well. And, um, we put together a list of what the current market rates are for indie work for hire and for DC Marvel work for hire uh, for basically sort of B and C list people. Obviously a list is going to be, you know, Scott Snyder doesn't get paid those rates. Um, He gets paid a lot more. Um, But for the, you know, the average middle level creator, this is what you should be looking for, for work for hire work. It's totally fine to sign something that doesn't make you that much as much as those figures, But you should know that you are being underpaid.
4: Excellent. I love it. And I found it really, like, it was very easy to follow and to read. And then it was great to have all of the other creators kind of come in and back you up and talk about,
2: you know, trying to price adjust. Storify is the most important part of that because it takes, because I don't want it to be just me talking about stuff. It has to be a number of pros discussing things. Knowledge, you know, knowledge is power. You know, talking about wages, companies say don't talk about money because, You know, that is what capital says to keep labor quiet so you don't know how much you're underpaid compared to the next guy. Because they're, because you know, not out of any malice, they're going to pay you as little as they can. Because that gives them more profit. Because that's how capitalism works. So, as labor, you have a duty to talk to other labor and understand you know, and to understand what the fair rates are. That's why in most creative arts, there are very strong unions, you know, Writers Guild, always walking out of things when, when people are getting paid. The film union's extremely powerful and extremely important because it's it literally, they literally save people from dying on film sets. Yeah. Um, every other creative industry is all unionized for the very reason that it's so, so easy to, to exploit people in the creative arts comics isn't we could all join writers guild east because you know writers guild actually takes visual artists as well all the people that do like motion graphics on on sport on like espn and stuff they're all writers guild east writers writers guild doesn't even make t-shirts anymore they used to make t-shirts that said writers guild on the front, and the front <laughs> back and then all the visual visual effects people were like uh hey we're not writers we're artists And so they stopped making that T-shirt. But, you know, we could all go to one union if we eventually unionize. And I think it's something that comics should do eventually because it will also do stuff like if you're working a certain amount, it will get you health care because one of the things unions do is offer cut rate group health care plans to 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 their members. Uh, Grievance process. So if you are harassed by somebody, it's no longer just you yourself as a woman in the industry or a man in the industry. Uh, going up against a large corporation and their lawyers you go to your union and the union files a grievance and then suddenly you've got this giant union. You've got like fucking writers guild at your back.
4: Why do you think that hasn't happened yet?
2: I don't think there's a knowledge of I mean what I know about unions is, is from I've worked a ton of crappy nickel-and-dime jobs because um, over uh, part-time jobs over the course of my life because uh, no. Because creative arts they pay so much <laughs> uh, to all comics dollar and, you know, most artists also, most uh, comics artists also do illustration work and things like that on the side because comics does not pay enough to live on. And, all, and what I know about unionizing is, is from working in union shops at various jobs, which I'm not going to reveal. And, you know, it's been a mixed bag. One of, the, uh, one of the unions I was with was absolutely terrible and hated, like, was just didn't give a crap about the part-time employees. And it was all like a crony system. And I, and I was just like, I hate you all. But that was, that was a very old, hidebound union in a pu- public sector job. You know, the, the, the unions that are good with the creative arts are very good with the creative arts. Uh, you can't expect innovation from a, a public sector union, really. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think a lot of people who have come across, fully realize the benefits of unionizing. Um, it's not a fight I want to lead because I have a lot of books to write. Right. Um, probably too controversial a person to do it. But I think it's something that over time I would would love to see more people become interested in.
4: I think in the indie community, um, guys like Alice Cotton, and Daryl Ayo, i see them talking about this all the time on their Twitter pages and really trying to push this. So I'm hoping that in the the near future, you know, especially when you have artists like putting up uh, Kickstarters to pay
2: medical bills and things like that. It's just insane. Yeah because they're underpaid because they're not paid enough that they can save. like I would I would guarantee you that 80 percent of people in comics aren't able to save money month to month I mean I, yeah, I'm probably preaching to converted 80 percent of people like in in life can't save money from month to month capitalism yay <laughs> but it's a real problem with comics I love Daryl he's one of my good friends I he's the greatest I'm so glad he's drawing Little Garden again because I love that book
4: absolutely and his twitter pages. Is- one of the most exciting things to follow he's so funny but also informative (laughs) and like I would never have found apartment hunters if it wasn't for him so many great indie comics that don't get any kind of um advertising he really goes hard and pushes for them so he's a he's a great ally in the comics community and Zainab
2: Akhtar is another great one for like finding out super comics comics and cola on twitter she highlights some really amazing indie books and I always love reading her her She's got really intelligent analysis of books that I otherwise would not come across because, you know, the mainstream comics sites just cover the monthly comic books that you can buy in comic book stores. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's nice when it, that's not that's like I always tell people, like, that's not comics. That's a tiny bit of comics. It's that's like shouting from the rooftops and kind of drowning out a lot of the rest of the industry. but at like the monthly, the monthly comic books that come out in comic book stores is only a tiny, tiny percentage of people who make sequential art and sell it successfully.
4: Yes, absolutely. What can fans expect from uh, this new arc coming up of No Mercy?
2: Well, the first arc was really the, the, um, the rock hitting the water. A splash. And in this arc, you start to see the ripples going out from that uh, and you start to really dig deeper into a lot of the characters, personalities and backgrounds. Um, with some really big reveals. I mean, there's a fairly big reveal in five, as well as two, two more characters die. Oh, uh, no. Do, 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 which one? And then we start seeing the perspectives of some of the parents and the school. Because there's a lot of stuff happening in the U.S. about these kids. I just haven't shown it to you yet because it would have made the story too messy. And I liked, I, I liked the, the gradual move outwards of it, of, of essentially the, the, the effects of the accident. Um, what happens
3: um, and what people's
2: reactions are to it and and the long term effects on the kids Uh, we really dig into that more in the following arc um, because some of the kids go home and then they've got to kind of then they start their freshman year because that's not going to be weird or anything wow
4: It's, it's crazy to me that uh, we will be leaving. Like, I just thought the desert was the story of them, like, abandoned by the thing. It was going to be kind of a survivor story. But you're telling, we're going to go, they're going to go to college. They're going to get out of the situation. And I mean,
2: like, okay. Like, if, no, I mean, not until, like, issue, like, 12. But it's not, I mean, it's a, it's a funny book in that it's a, it's a very difficult, my books are very difficult to kind of high concept. I, I, as soon as I establish a pattern, I, I, I break it um, because patterns bore me. So it's not a straight survival book. It's not like Drifting Classroom, which makes No Mercy look like a little golden book. Drifting Classroom is just <laughs> a really manga. It, it Drifting Classroom is basically like if you're familiar with James Tynan's The Woods, Drifting Classroom is, is sort of the book I think that the Woods is based on like and uh, it and it was in like nineteen isn't there? It's an early seventies manga that you can get from vertical, I think. It, you can get on on like and it's about an elementary school classroom that's just picked up and then kind of magically put in the middle of this wasteland. Wow. So yeah. so yeah, just like the woods. It's just like the woods. I, I kind of saw the woods and I'm like, really? <laughs> <laughs> okay, not going to say anything. Not the hill I'm going to die on. Bye, have fun. <laughs> uh, and then I didn't want to read it because I thought if it really is just like, if it really is homaging Drifting Classroom, uh, I'm going to be really angry. But it probably wasn't. I mean, it's not, you know, it, 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 you can completely come up with a similar idea without having Ever read or thought of Drifting Classroom because it's kind of obscure. Quintana anyway, made a like, whole like, career on please it. Please check out Drifting Classroom. It's super hardcore and um, it, yeah, it makes everything else published look like a, like a little fairy tale book because it's so nasty with such young children and so many feelings um, and so bleak. But yeah, uh, the um, the the arc is, is five issues this time, uh, four issues to issue eight, where we have about three major mic drops, and then issue nine is a flashback issue. Um, following on from one of the major mic drops on issue eight. Um, And I've written all of them. And Carla is, Carla is is actually currently drawing Harrow County right now, but one, but she's, I think she started penciling issue nine. Um, And I've got to start next week. I'm starting to letter issue seven.
4: Excellent. So when does issue five come out? I'm the world's slowest letterer. (laughs) When Uh, does issue five come out?
2: Uh, December 9th. So soon. Very soon. Very
4: excited. Are there any other projects on the horizons for you?
2: I've got like three mini series coming out next year and none of them have been announced yet. Um, uh, Like two of them are written. One of them is, well, I'm writing issue three of the five next week in and around lettering. No mercy. So yes, I have a lot of things in the pipeline Um, because comics, some of them got delayed a little bit. They're all written more or less. Stay tuned. Uh, Lots more brutal, violent, fun stuff coming from me. Um, In the meantime, uh, my webcomic, Valentine, has a new episode out on Wednesday. Uh, You can get Valentine on Comixology. It's a fantasy thriller, so if you like swords and monster gore and suspense, um, Valentine is a lot like No Mercy in that every episode is really twisty and ends on a cliffhanger. I mean, we, we I love the kind of old pulp books that kind of like in single issues, it leaves you going, oh my God, what's going to happen next? And that's really what we try to do with every issue of No Mercy. Like the last page should make you gasp. And that's what we do a lot with Valentine is, is uh, you, you know you, you read it and you think you know where it's going to go and you have no idea. Trust me, you have absolutely no idea. And the first issue is free and there will be as of Wednesday, 16 issues and they're 99 cents each and people should check them out. Because it's also optimized for reading on your phone. So if you're if you're kind of looking for something that you can read on like a subway ride into work or like at break time at work, just on your phone, flipping through all the all this the, the panels are phone screen sized. So it's not even like guided view where you have to keep moving your phone around and the panel sizes to keep changing. It's just this really seamless experience. It was it was completely designed to be digital native.
4: That's great. Um, I love that. Digital comics have been such a struggle for me to get into Um, I really like the feel of paper, and I've been collecting books since I could read. Um, So uh, it's really cool to see the digital comics are starting to come into their own and be, you know, less thought of as a flat page and more uh, for the medium.
2: Let's cut up up a normal comic book and call it a digital comic. Really? I mean, I'm I'm a bit like you. I spend spend the day staring at screens, like lettering comics or writing on my laptop. Um, It's one of the reasons I do my rough outlines on in in a paper notebook and then at night when i want to sit down and kind of have a break i i I don't want to stare at a screen again i mean i even have a super cheap like samsung tablet i bought off ebay for theoretically reading comics in bed but i i always end up with paper comics because i'm so tired of staring at screens by the time i like 9 p.m. rolls around.
4: Absolutely. <laughs> and I feel like they never quite get the colors right on, di- like on the digital mediums. Like I really like colors yeah. on a page.
2: Yeah. And um, also for my research reading, which is most most of the things I read are nonfiction, are either like other comic books or nonfiction. Um, autobiography, biography, history. Um, I really like history fascinates me. So all of those books are all like secondhand from abebooks.com because um, I like to mark them up and put little tags on them and I, I know I can do this like on a on a e reader. I know I can make notes. Like I don't but I don't care. Like I I wanna have when I'm writing, I wanna have my laptop or my notebook open like paper notebook open and I wanna have a book open next to me and I can flip through it looking for the quote or the where the reference. I don't want to have to alt tab to like get out of my writing and then go to the book and then alt tab back. That's it's like no. So yeah, I'm kind of a Luddite I guess.
4: It it's well, really the way to go. I, I just don't I don't see it ever being released.
2: <laughs> um, I am the luddite who like pro- pretty much single-handedly has put emoji in comics. It's <laughs> so, it was so funny the earlier reviews. Some people are like teenagers don't talk like this. And then like actual people who had been recently or still were teenagers wrote in like yeah, we actually talk a lot more like in code. They've toned this they have toned it down for you olds. And I'm like, yeah, I, I did tone it down for the olds because people <laughs> were like, oh there's emoji in this comic book. I'm I'm I'm, I'm not down with this. The, you know, language can't change.
4: Which is so silly, because how would we have friendship? Language could not change.
2: Then, you know? We <laughs> <laughs> throw some Latin at you. Language changes. Language changes every fucking day. And that's the glory of it. Absolutely.
4: You know? Absolutely. Well, I'm going to let you go make that birthday cake. Thank you for spending so much time with us today. I really appreciate this, Alex. <laughs> no problem, Joel. Thanks. Have a great day. You too.
5: <laughs> Alright, it's time to turn up in this bitch power-ups. I land in my ship, you can call me Picard. Check to the left, but the tunnel is small. Find my room, Mary, the problem is solved. I can make my whole body turn into a bar. Yeah, I'm on a roll. Like I'm jelly or I'm margarine and everywhere I go. A spin. When I get a missile in the midst of the mission, I feel so defined like I'm H to the Izzo. Better know your place if you get up in my grill. I've been a teacher, lesson like I'm really Miss Frizzle. I can level whole worlds to hot cakes. Aunt mama, act civil or I'll blow you up. Just call me J. Abba hammer Here I'm a one woman army. Got a gun up on my arm like a Tommy. I'ma come a yummy yak with the long beam. Pop up like the butters up on down beat. When I'm hit by an enemy, I feel the pain killing me I play like Lauren. I'm dizzy, I feel like I sip purple drink. I get giddy when I see your energy tank. Shooting the bubble, I walk out the door. Looking for trouble, you already know. I got a new weapon, I'm ready to show. I'll be dropping a bomb while I tuck in a road. I'm about to blow like a big landmine. Cause I can roll and drop a bomb at the same damn time. Yeah, don't you like my power ups? Got a few. shit wrap it up no one woman should have all this power oops my power level broke yo scouter don't you like my power ups got a few at them up now i've had about enough of your talking shit wrap it up no one woman should have all this power whoa my power level broke yo i rather have the ice than the wave beam. So when a hater want to try and overtake me, make up chill, I'm the AC. Ha. Now that's what I really call a brain freeze. Ice cold as the top of the nose. Leave him comatose like an overdose. If you dumb and you still want to throw them both, you a bird brain fool, you a chocobo. Got a fresh new pair, give me higher jumps. Now I get air like Michael Dunks. When I lift off better get lost, cause I have my feet up in your face, you gon' fight the test. Why you stay in place like you calling on a land? Line. I'm in outer space. Yeah, I'm ballin'. Fire looking fly like I'm working at LaGuardia. Now you running, go ahead and get that cardio. Side down like I'm Daria. Hey, they askin' where they do that at, cause I'm from out of town. Chop you, chop you with the screw attack, cause that's going slow you down. My body's a weapon, I'm spinning so fast, you won't see me coming to whoop on that ass. You looking real dumb, are you doing the math? I will make you a fraction, I'll cut you in half. Look at you, now look at you look now, fin waste, you bitch Don't you like my power-ups? Got a few Add em up Now I've had about enough talking shit, wrap it up, no <laughs> one woman should have all this power Oops, my power level broke yo, scouter. Don't you like my power-ups? Got a few Add em up Now I've had about enough of yo talking shit, wrap it up. Woman should have all this power Whoa, my power level broke, yo scouter, scouter, scouter. scouter. That's right, I just fucked up the whole Nerdcord